fights with passion and he inspires. Are you ready for a war? All right, welcome back to From Made Arbitration. And Vordy from Discord, Vordy, I appreciate you, my brother, for the 10% that you contributed to the opening. And uh, so wanted to give a shout-out to Vordy right off the jump from Discord. Uh, he cussed me out last week because I didn't give him a shout-out. I didn't know, uh, so that's a, a harmless error on my part. But Vordy... Shout out to you, brother, for, for helping out. I appreciate it. I don't ever want to diss anybody as far as if you help me out or not. So uh, a lot of people talked about the uh, intro music last week. I thought it was pretty badass, like I said. I thought it was really good, really well done. And um, so I got a little shorter snippet this week and uh, didn't have all my cussing on there. Uh, the microphone is fixed now, thank God. Uh, it's It's been driving me crazy that it hadn't been fixed. It's finally fixed. So now my cuss words hopefully will be a little crisper on here when I give them to you. So, <laughs> But uh, we're going to have an extremely long episode, and I say that all the time, but this is going to be long. Um, this will be the third installment of the Memphis miniseries. We're getting into the formal step A, and I'll talk about that in just a little bit, what to look for, because this one, this one is forever long. It's over two hours long, the, the questioning of the Formal A. Um, but first, I, I want to talk a couple of things. Um, Tyler Vassar, he's got a message for everybody, and I'm going to read that. Um, next Sunday is the Zoom meeting. Not this Sunday coming up, but next Sunday. This is Friday. I'm putting up the episode because I'm going to the COP. I'll be leaving uh, tomorrow morning. So I wanted to go ahead and do the episode tonight so that I could get it in here. So, But next Sunday is going to be the Zoom meeting on the that movement, okay? And um, here's, uh, here's the message from Tyler, and he asked that I read it, and I said, absolutely I will. So here's a quick update on the movement for open bargaining and the next build of fighting NALC Zoom meeting on March 10th. The movement to pass the open bargaining resolution is spreading across the country. This resolution calls for a transformation of our approach to contract negotiations by having a more transparent negotiation process and by building public rallies with strong demands that would mobilize NALC members and community members in support of a strong contract. Six NALC branches have passed the resolution so far, Minneapolis Branch 9, Knoxville Branch 419, San Francisco Branch 214, Buffalo Branch 3, Pasadena Branch 2200, and Milwaukee Branch 2. NALC members and leaders in dozens of other branches across the country are in the process of discussing the open bargaining resolution and are planning on proposing the resolution for votes at upcoming general membership meetings. The number one question on most NALC members' minds is, what is going on with our contract? Members are wondering why negotiations are taking so long and why our national leadership does not seem to have any strategy to win. We have seen other major unions across the country mobilize their members, fight, and win strong contracts, and NALC members think we need to do the same in our union. When the booklet with resolutions for the convention is printed and distributed, 
We want it to show that branches all across the country have passed the open bargaining resolution and are ready to fight for it at the national convention. If you want to get that resolution passed in your branch, you can find a copy of it on the From Ada Arbitration website. Our first Build of Fighting NLC Zoom meeting on January 28th had 104 attendees. Our next Build of Fighting NLC Zoom meeting is this Sunday, March 10th at noon Central Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. And I want us to double or triple those attendance numbers. You can find the link to register for that meeting on the From Aid Arbitration website as well. Register there and share the registration link with two co-workers and encourage them to come out and be a part of the movement. Let's keep building this movement of NELC members who are fed up with the status quo and want to build a fighting militant union, a union that fights for higher wages to counter the rising cost of living and an end to mandatory overtime a union that truly represents our members, fights for better working conditions, and for the dignity and respect we deserve. We hope to see you at the next Build a Fighting NALC meeting on March 10th. Join the movement in Solidarity, Tyler. So there you have it. A very sharp individual. Like I said, I was on the last uh, Zoom meeting, had over 100 people. Uh, very encouraging message from all of them. And uh, so I hope that y'all get on the next Zoom meeting next Sunday, the 10th. And uh, I'll be on there. So hopefully y'all get on there. Because, you know, they're they're not wanting to give us any money. That That's always the case. What I find funny is, I don't know if y'all saw the article that came out where it talks about they got their raise, but they also get a bonus, performance bonus. So you see why they are attempting to implement these uh, metrics that that bonehead uh, area VP was talking about last year, these hour office times, all these things that they're pushing, uh, all these things go into their bonus. And so that's the reason they're willing to have grievances filed on them is because they're trying to get this bonus, right? And they don't want to give us shit. What's funny <laughs> And this is this is the perfect example of how damn stupid and foolish postal service management is, okay? And things that we need to exploit in uh, negotiations. In our district, they're they're making two full time positions. Uh, just snatched up two people, two managers, and what they're going to be doing all year long, eight hours a day. 365 days of the year is writing discipline. That's all they're going to do. That's their entire job. They're not labor. Labor's not doing it anymore. They're just two managers. One's this dumbass you're going to hear from today, this formal step A rep that, that I get into today. One is him. And you're going to see how stupid this guy is. So he's going to be writing discipline. That's what they're going to do. be doing full time. And so they got enough money to hire two people full-time to write discipline all the all day long. And they want to keep us to pennies, to scraps. Uh, I've always said you could cut out 70% of management, we wouldn't miss a beat. But it's federal government. That's the perfect example of federal government. They want to talk about we're going broke, we're going broke, and they'll add 50 new positions to a district that, that they don't need. If you got rid of 70% of management, you could fix your problems. You could fix your problems right there. 
And so that's the reason I don't ever care when I hear them saying, we're losing all this money. I don't, I don't care. I don't listen to that shit. Uh, I just don't because you could fix that tomorrow by getting rid of 70% of these fools that you have in management. So, and start with the two dumb asses that you're fixing to pay full time to just write discipline all day long. How about get your supervisors to write their own damn discipline? If they're that damn stupid that they can't write discipline, send them back to doing something else. Uh, it's that simple, but you have supervisors and managers that are so damn dumb. They can't even write their own discipline. Uh, so they got to hire two full-time people to do it. That's incompetence. And, uh, we need to exploit all of that in negotiations that, you know, I think I heard that 20 years ago, and I could be wrong. 20 years ago, they had one supervisor for every 22 carriers, one supervisor for every 22 carriers. Today, one per six. One per six. That tells you how much management they have right now. And they could get rid of 90% of that, and we wouldn't miss a beat. So anyway, there's a little something for you. All right, one last thing, and then we're going to get into this uh, arbitration because I'm telling you, it's, it's especially long today. And I'm going to talk a little bit beforehand about uh, what I'm trying to accomplish when I'm cross-examining, okay? But I get this message all the time, and uh, and so I'm just going to address it, okay? So if anybody wants to send it to me again. But I get this message all the time, and I'll read this. Uh, it, it says, uh, I'm reading off my phone, so i got to put my glasses on. It says, hey, Corey, thank you so much for the podcast, uh, my branch president may, has made it required for all new carriers, which is pretty cool. I appreciate that. I do. Yeah, tell them don't let the language scare them off. Uh, he said, one thing that concerns me, we were talking about this on break. What happens if management decides to come after you because of the podcast? We know that they listen. And what happens if the union decides to turn their back on you if they do? <laughs> and so... He says, uh, we were just wondering that, if you've thought about that. Uh, thank you so much, and Branch and uh, name. Uh, yes, I've thought about that. <laughs> I have, and a lot of people ask me about it. You know, management listens, and you're calling them lying pieces of shit and uh, to tell them to go fuck off and all this, and the union at the highest level doesn't like you. So what happens if management comes at you and the union just turns their back on you? And uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, am I concerned about it? Quick answer. No, I'm not. I don't concern myself with that. Um, I've been here 30 years. I have never been disciplined in 30 years. I have never received a letter of warning, uh, in my 30 years. I'm not concerned about management coming after me. Uh, I'm not concerned about my union turning their back on me. Uh, I'm just not, uh, I represent myself, but, uh, I'll tell you a story. Uh, I'll tell you a story about my brother, okay? And uh, I'll probably get emotional about it because uh, he was pretty special. But, and this is kind of goes to answer the question. And um, But my brother was the craziest individual I've ever known. I've never known anybody like him in my life. Uh, there's nothing he wouldn't do. This dude was crazy. And I told you that uh, 
you know, we were extremely volatile. <laughs> we, we would fight each other, but if you ever messed with him or me, it was on, right? Uh, my brother, when he was in high school, everybody loved him. Everybody loved my brother, especially girls. They loved Mike. And so uh, he always had a girlfriend. And uh, so the girls just loved him. He had the best personality. You know, I was about 175 pounds in high school. He was about 185 pounds. The thing about Mike is he did not like jocks. He did not like them. Most of his fights were with with the jocks. And so... He uh, he uh, he got us in quite a few uh, because if anybody messed with him, obviously they messed with me. And so I'll tell you just a few stories about Mike. Uh, we were at a basketball game one time, and uh, we were playing. We went to Hillwood High School, and we were playing Overton, and we were at Overton, and so we all went. You know, and we're watching the game. I'm sitting up at the top. Uh, of the bleachers and Mike's about halfway down. And if you knew Mike, he had the, he had his mouth is what always got him in trouble. He could not keep his mouth shut and whatever he thought he said, and it didn't matter who it was. So we're watching this game and I'm kind of looking around, you know, and I look down and this, the door on the far side of the gym, you know, flies open and here comes one of our football players, the biggest one on the team. <laughs> and he comes in, and uh, he's looking around, and he's got two or three guys with him, right? And uh, he's looking around, and he's pointing, you know, pointing, saying something, you know, and up in the crowd. So they come walking over. And uh, about halfway across the gym, I'm hoping, I'm thinking to myself, I hope they're not coming, you know, for Mike. Because, you know, it's the biggest football player on the team, and he's got two or three guys with him. So I'm like, I'm hoping this isn't about Mike. And so they're coming, you know, hightailing across the gym. They don't walk up the steps. They're like going through the crowd to get up the steps. I look down, and I see Mike. And he's got his hand up like a, you know, a sock puppet. (laughs) And he's, you know, doing like dude's just full of talk. You know, he's just doing it like, like yapping at dude. Like, just telling them, you're all talk, you know. And I'm like, oh, God, they are going at Mike. And so <laughs> I'm sitting with all my buddies, you know. And uh, I stand up, and I'm like, hey, tell my mom and dad I love them. And they're like, what? I said, my life's ending tonight. <laughs> and so I take off down these. Uh, I'm just playing, obviously, but, well, kind of. But uh, I said, tell my mom and dad I love them. Uh, my life's going to end tonight. <laughs> and so... I'm taking these bleaches about two or three at a time, trying to get down to my brother before they could get to him. Right. And the whole time I'm going down there, I'm not thinking we're fixing to get demolished right here. Uh, <laughs> these, these dudes right here are going to, to destroy us. Uh, I'm not thinking that I remember thinking going down, I'm, I'm taking these bleaches about two or three at a time to get down there. I'm thinking I'm going to get on one of these guys heads like a bag of cats. Uh, whichever one I can get to first, I'm going to get on that head like a bag of cats, man. And I'm going to be all over that dude. So I'm thinking that on the way down, just trotting down these bleachers. Cause I'm like, if they get to Mike first, there's nothing I can do. Cause they're just four of them. They're going to get on him. But 
so I'm thinking that running down these bleachers trying to get to my brother. About halfway up, you know, people are getting up, you know, like, dude, you're coming right in between us, you know, and it kind of just makes it all a big clusterfuck, you know. So they never do get up there to him. So I get down beside my brother, you know, and he's just like, hey, Corey, what's going on? I'm like, what? You know, that's how he was. Hey, Corey, how are you? I mean, he's not the least bit concerned that we we're fixing to get destroyed. But that was Mike. It was all the time with him. Uh, he didn't care. and uh, But he had the best heart of anybody I've ever known. Mike had the best heart of anybody. I've never known anybody that was as giving and caring as my brother. And, and when you see on Facebook, you know, Mike has since passed. And when you see on Facebook, when you put up his picture, you know, when I put up his picture talking about every year, and then uh, also for his birthday, you'll see people talk. You know, they'll talk about him and uh, just how much they miss him and how crazy he was and, and uh, all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, he, he was the most caring person I've ever known. And this one story, he um, he was in the band and he played tuba. And Hillwood Band, Hillwood High School Band, was the best band in the South. They won every competition they got in. Uh, they were they were the number one rated band in the South. And so um, he played tuba. Well, our biggest competition was McGavick and Overton. Those were the ones that uh, were our biggest competition. Well, all the girls on both on both bands were in love with Mike. <laughs> Overton and McGavick. You know, all the girls loved Mike. I'll never forget we were at home, and my mom gets a phone call. And uh, the mother uh, on the line says, you know, Miss Walton, you don't know me, but uh, I'm so-and-so, and my daughter plays in the Overton uh, band, high school band. And the daughter was uh, a big girl, a bigger girl, okay? Uh, she was a big girl. And the mother was very upset because she said nobody asked her daughter to prom. And uh, her daughter was devastated because nobody had asked her to prom. And she said, you know, Miss Walton, uh, you know, my daughter always talks about your son, Mike. And, um, you know, I was just hoping to do something for my daughter, you know, because she's so distraught. She's so upset. Uh, I was hoping that maybe Mike could ask her, you know, to go to prom. And so my mom was like, well, I'll definitely ask him, you know. And uh, so she took the number down. And I I was kind of in the den hallway. And my mom walks by me and she got my, my brother's room was downstairs. So I could hear her. She's like, hey, Mike, do you know a so-and-so? He's like, no, I don't. Well, uh, nobody's taking her to prom. And uh, she's upset. He's like, I'll take her to prom. And my mom was like, will you? She, he's like, yeah, I'll take her to prom. So he calls her, they get everything set up, and he takes her to prom. And uh, and I always thought about what that mother was like, you know, when my brother, who everybody was in love with, you know, all the girls at both schools were in love with Mike. You know, the pride of that mother to have her daughter, who was completely devastated, you know, taken to prom by Mike, who was, you know, he was an all-star, you know, back in back in the day. Everybody loved him. Uh, 
you know, to get uh, to get in the tux, to get her in her dress and, and to go. And what the young lady felt like walking into the gym with Mike, you know, the one that all the girls loved and uh, and how proud she probably was, you know, with that and how proud her mother was uh, for just that one moment um, that Mike did that. And uh, he never thought, of, he didn't think twice about it. To think of that young lady that was not going to be able to go to prom uh, because nobody asked her, uh, probably felt unwanted, probably felt, uh, you know, not very attractive, and uh, for nobody in the whole school to ask. And for my brother to do that, to take her. And I think about it to this day, you know, every time I go over to my mom and dad's house, the picture, the prom pictures there, and there he is, you know, this girl, she's got the huge smile on her face. And he's smiling, you know, because you're, and, and they, he comes on, he said, man, we had the best time because that's Mike. He's going to have the best time regardless of what he's doing. Uh, he's going to have the best time. And, uh, so fast forward years later, he goes into the military, he gets out, he has all kind of jobs, you know, doing things where people are putting him up front because of, he's had the best personality. And, and then he gets cancer and, um, my kids, you know, loved him. He was the best uncle ever. Uh, he loved my kids. And my daughter especially was crazy about Mike. And because uh, Mike was still crazy after all those years. He was still crazy. And uh, he he got cancer. And, um, and, it, and it got him. And I'll never forget, right there towards the end, uh, he was in the VA. And I wouldn't let my kids come see him any longer because it wasn't Mike. If you've, if you've dealt with cancer, you know what I'm talking about. It just wasn't Mike any longer. And right there, just a month or so before he, he passed, and, and this was great for my parents, but all these girls would come up there to see him one last time. And they would tell my mother, I'll never forget it. You know, I'm so-and-so. I went to this school. I was always in love with Mike. And uh, they'd go over, and they'd just put their hands on him, you know, and uh, kiss his forehead or whatever, and then they'd walk out. It was like a revolving door of that, uh, people coming in to see him. I, I thought it was a great tribute to him. To tell you how crazy he was, I was on my mail route, and this is right towards the end. I was on my mail route, and my mom calls, and she's like, hey, the doctor said you need to get up here. Uh, he's not going to last much longer. So I went flying back to the station, got my truck left, and I'm getting up there. Uh, I parked, like, down the street. I'm running, just praying, don't let him die. Let me see him before he goes. And so I run upstairs. Everybody's in there. It's packed. Everybody's in the room with Mike. He's on the bed. And he goes around the room and he tells everybody, you know, how much he appreciates them, how much he loves them, what they meant to him. And he says, uh, he says, I'm going to close my eyes now, he said. And so whatever happens after this, just know that I love you. And he closes his eyes. And my mom just lays over on him. She's crying, just bawling. And so it's about five minutes, five minutes later. <laughs> We're all standing there, you know, just, just looking. And he opens one eye up. And he's looking around at the room with just one eye. And he says, 
are y'all still here? <laughs> so he, he, that's just him. Another time, uh, my aunt and uncle were in there with him and I was sitting up in the room with him and I walked in and they were in there and they're like, you know, he's been asleep for about 30 minutes and this is going to be terrible. I probably shouldn't record this, but said uh, he's been asleep for about 30 minutes. I was like, oh, okay. Well, I said, I'll just sit over here and, and just, you know, keep him company. So he's got his head over, you know, and so they're like, Corey, we're going to go ahead and go. And um, so just tell him we love him. I said, I will. I'll tell him. So they go out the door and the door shuts and he looks at me. He's like, are they gone? I said, yeah. He's like, my God, <laughs> I didn't ever think they were leaving. <laughs> So he's playing like he's asleep. So they'd leave, but they, you know that that's Mike. Um, his whole life was like that. His whole life was a show, and uh, and right before he passed, right before he passed, and I'm talking probably days before he passed, he had been up at the VA for quite some time, and everybody up there loved him. I never forget this large black man comes in. He's a nurse, and he's hugging my mom and dad. And uh, he's talking to him, and he comes over, you know, and shakes my hand. And he turns around, and he lays over on my brother. He lays over on him. And uh, he's crying, and he's praying. And I'll never forget, he didn't pray that, that God would heal Mike because Mike was too far gone. He prayed that God would keep him safe during his passing. And he was praying that God would keep him safe during his journey. Because Mike was coming to the end of his journey on this earth. His journey was coming to an end. And i never forget that guy praying that God would make his passage safe. And that uh, his journey home would be safe. And it's that point you realize, you know, Mike is, is uh, not going to be with us much longer. Had a couple other nurses come in there, and they did the same thing. You know, two two females came in and just laid over on him and was just stroking his hair. Just I remember them looking at my mother saying, we're going to miss him so much, just for that little time that he was there. And uh, and he passed away. Um, I wasn't there when he did. I remember I had left and had gotten home, and no sooner I'd gotten home, my mom called and said, hey, Mike is gone. And so I went back up there, and uh, there he was. And my mom and dad just just petting his hands and, and talking to him and stuff, but he had passed away. Uh, he had several jobs. His last job was at the Harley-Davidson dealership. And uh, at his funeral, I remember uh, the sound of those Harleys. About 50 of them came riding up to pay tribute to Mike. And they came riding up and... Uh, and it was pretty awesome, man. I got pretty emotional when that happened. It was pretty badass. And the casket was filled with those uh, armbands, fighting cancer armbands, because, you know, he had lost that fight. And so everybody took him off and put him in his casket, and it's filled with those those armbands. And he was, he was 41 years old. Uh, he was 17 months older than me. And that's, I'm 54 now, so he's about 15 years ago. And... And yes, yeah, so, and, and uh, we lost Mike. About two months before Mike died, about two months before he died, he was at, ha- at the house, at his house. And I went over to see him. 
and he was sitting on his couch and he was in a lot of pain. And I was sitting in a chair and I was just looking at him, you know, because I'm like, I'm not going to have this much longer. And I'm just looking at him and thinking of all the things that we've done together, all the fights that we got in, all the things, the, the trouble, the, the sheer mischief that Mike and I had gotten into. And it's legendary around our neighborhood and around the church we went to. People still talk about Mike and I at that church when we were little, the shit we got into. And I was just looking at him, you know, and he looks over at me and uh, he's like, what is it, man? I was like, Mike, I'm going to miss you, brother. I said, I'm going to miss you. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget. He said, Corey, if I had to do it all over again, told y'all I was going to get emotional. If I had to do it over again and I could be born and live to 80, or if I could be born and live the exact same life, I wouldn't change a thing. I have no regrets. I wouldn't change a thing. And when he said that, I looked at him. And I was like, the power of that. To say, man, if I could do it all over again and, and live to 80 or live my same life and die at 41, I would not change a thing. And so when people ask me, am I worried, am I concerned about anything, I don't concern myself or worry about the first damn thing. There is nothing anybody can do to me. Uh, I think of Mike all the time when he said that. I wouldn't change a thing. And that's how I live my life. I would not change a thing. I would not change anything that I've done, especially on here. Uh, I've decided years ago, a couple of years ago, what I'm going to do here. I'm going to educate uh, as much as I can. I'm going to help you out as much as I can. I told you all that I love you all, and I say that. I'm not bullshitting. I'm not kidding. I love you all, and I'm going to do everything I can to help you all succeed and to fight and to be warriors and to educate yourself. That's what I'm going to do. And and I don't look back. I don't regret it. I don't worry about anything. I don't concern myself with anything. Uh, seriously, uh, if management wants to come after me, come on. <laughs> come on and get some. That's all I can tell you. If management wants to come after me for this, come and get you some. That's all I can say. And so I get those messages all the time. So that was a long story to tell y'all. Just like my brother saying, man, I wouldn't change anything. Because I've lived my best life. I wouldn't change anything. That's me here. I'm not going to change anything. I wouldn't. I don't regret doing it. I don't regret starting it. I don't regret anything I've ever said. Uh, who I go after. I just don't do that. I don't live with regret. And so, I, uh, yeah, I appreciate y'all's concern. <laughs> I do. Uh, and I love each and every one of you. But I, uh, I, I just I don't concern myself with anything. I don't worry about anything, really. And uh, I don't spend a second's time thinking about it anymore. I know that. 
All right, let's get into this uh, episode on the um, arbitration. Now, look, this is the formal step A, and this is the one I've been waiting on, okay? A lot of stuff I'm going to get out of him. You've heard the buildup on all the witnesses, postal inspectors, uh, the the supervisor talking about that uh, we failed to bargain in good faith. He te- his contention was we failed to bargain in good faith because he requested information before the formal step A meeting and Jason Ashley didn't give him any. So he he talks about that and it's quite comical because the arbitrator is a very long portion of this is the arbitrator asking him what he wants uh, because he's talking about uh, we failed to bargain in good faith because we didn't give him information before the formal A meeting. And so you hear the arbitrator about 15 minutes saying, what do you want from that? What are you expecting to gain from that? And finally, he just says, you know, are you wanting to throw it out? Yeah, I want you to throw it out. Okay, so uh, you'll hear that. Also in here, under with Jason Ashley and his testimony on the first day, Publication 552 has talked about all the way through this the contentions on both sides. So in the hearing, the only thing that wasn't in the file was Publication 552. So I attempted to introduce Publication 552 because I, I wanted the arbitrator to read what was in it. Management objected strenuously about me including Publication 552, the booklet. And I said, it's been referenced and during the entire episode, you know, in both contentions. It's been referenced. And uh, he said, I don't care. It's not in here. I don't want it in here. And so the arbitrator asked me, what are you wanting out of there? I said, just one sentence. He said, you're wanting one sentence out of there. I said, yes, sir. Just one sentence. He makes one of their TAs. They had about six people in there sitting watching. Go get some scissors. And he cut the one sentence out and said, that's you one. Union exhibit one. The one sentence. And... um so uh, you'll hear uh, on the witnesses, it's folded. And the witness, uh, the formula tries to unfold it to read it. And he, he gets on and he said, oh, don't, don't do that. Fold it back up. Fold it back up. You'll hear that. That's what that is. They're talking about, they're trying to make this a station grievance for the one station. We're adamant that it's citywide. And you'll hear a lot about that. Uh, they're saying that it was within the last 14 days. We're saying that it's ongoing. You'll hear a lot of that. Um, the formal aid to me, like I've said in previous episodes, is the most important position, the most important step is the formal step A. You win or lose cases at the formal step A, and I believe that, truly. As a formal step A, I'm going to go after you the most. Uh, I will know your contentions more than you do, and I promise you that. Uh, management has never come in there where I don't know their contentions more than they do. I will look at each word. And if you've got 1,100 pages, I'm going to memorize 1,100 pages. I'm going to know exactly where what you're talking about and where I need to go to find it. Uh, emails. You'll hear me breaking down emails. You'll hear me going after postmasters, um, back and forth, just building my position through him. And you'll hear that. I tried to, to put in two step B decisions that came in after this, uh, this was impassed. I'm wanting to bring in two step B decisions. And, and I try to get those in. The arbitrator doesn't let it happen. And I try to get them again. But I get to talk about them. 
And so the arbitrator is still in his mind, and I get to talk about him. He never does let him in, but you're fixing to experience the long, slow grind of arbitration. Uh, and it's quite boring on some of their parts. Now, their advocate leads the entire time. He leads his witness uh, more than any time else. Uh, he's basically cross-examining his witness. He'll ask him questions with the answer attached to it, you know. And now you put this in the file to get this, didn't you? Now you did this to do this. Now you're talking about this right here, aren't you? And all those are leading. Before this happened, before that, we took a long break and uh, their person was talking about me objecting. They were playing. And I said, well, you know, with the questions he asked, he might as well ask the question and go down there and sit and answer it himself. I said, he's terrible about leading. And so the arbitrator says something about it during this break. And he says, uh, he does lead. He said, but, you know, I'm just here to, to understand the file, to know what's going on. And, uh, and I said, yeah. I said, I could object to every question. He's like, you know, like I said, I'm just here to, to learn about the file and what's going on. So I don't really object much. You'll hear the advocate catch himself leading, and he'll say something to the arbitrator. Then you'll hear the arbitrator later kind of warn him about leading. Because I'm just over there with my pen, tapping my pen on the paper, just like he's leading, you know, that, but that happens the entire time. This is the perfect example of look at everything in the file. Emails, look at them, dates, times, uh, and you'll see what I'm talking about under cross, how I go after this guy. Labor wrote these contentions. Uh, he didn't write them. Now, he says he did, but he didn't. So I will constantly be taking them to places that are completely irrelevant. What are you talking about here? What are you talking about here? Trying to get him where he doesn't know. And I catch him a couple of times with that. You know, what are you talking about here? Well, I'm drawing a blank there. Uh, that's because he didn't write the contentions. Labor wrote them, and now they're trying to lead him through their own contentions, if that makes sense. And you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, but it's about two-some hours of testimony. It was three-and-a-half hours uh, I edited, took out about an hour and a half because uh, when labor asked a question, he had answered, and then they would spend about two minutes looking for another question. And so I cut all that out. Well, that cut out about an hour and something. Then he takes a long break. The arbitrator uh, gives us a break right between, right in my cross-examination because he's been up there for two hours. And you'll hear that. It's kind of funny. But Anyway, here is the formal step A for management, right? They're trying to gain, you know, they're trying to get, uh, failed to bargain in good faith at the informal, failed to bargain in good faith at the formal. It was uh, stationwide, not citywide. It was uh, within the last 14 days. It was not ongoing. And so you'll see where, where they're at and where we're at. Now, I'm telling you, it's the long, hard grind of arbitration right here. You're fixing to get bored shitless uh, with management's questioning because they're going through the entire position. And so, uh, but then here I come on the other side of it and it gets entertaining again, right? <laughs> so here it is, management's formal step A, episode three of the Memphis miniseries. Hope you enjoy it. I'll be back on the other side. I think I can get the Michael. Can you spell the last name for me? I can. It's V. 
I should get that right in the award if I choose to cite your name, but please accept my apologies if I... It won't be the first time. It won't be the last either. Mark Perkins doesn't pick it up as a misspelling. So I mean, he picks it up as a misspelling. Uh, what is your uh, position? My position in the Postal Service is Postmaster Britain. For the last several years, I've been doing formal A's for the city of Nashville, and I was been doing formal A uh, for Memphis uh, up until January of this year. Okay. And what what facility did you say you were postmaster at? Wood. Are you going to develop his formal A stuff? Am I going to develop it? Yeah. Was that part of your? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right, uh, Mr. Felt, uh, there's nobody questioning your truthfulness or the veracity of your testimony here today. But we uh, uh, typically in arbitrations, the parties want the witnesses sworn, and we have sworn everybody in this case. It's not directed particularly at you, but I will swear you in now if that's okay. Yes, sir. You swear or affirm to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you I do. Okay, uh, so, uh, so you were, as you just mentioned, you were the formal A rep in Memphis for a period of time. What, did you handle this case at formal A in relation to the shoot, uh, the JSOV grievance that was filed in Memphis? I handled this, yes. Okay. Um, I think your contentions begin on page 865, so if we can just kind of flip over to 865. Sixty-five to seventy-seven. Here. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, these are the these are the contentions you prepare for the formal A meeting. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And can you explain prior to the meeting, prior to walking into the meeting, what information did you have that was sent to you in the appeal from the union? Uh, prior to the meeting, I was given the form 8190, uh, the informal aid, well, the five pages, it was, it was emailed to me um, several days after the informal me meeting, and it was five pages which included uh, the informal A, step A, issue statements, uh, request for information, and uh, I believe it was this email to you from Jason Ashley. Okay, so if we look at 878, 879, 880, and 881. And 882, I believe. Okay, so, so 878 through 882 was the what was sent to you for the appeal? Correct. So this was only this appeal only had information from the informal. There were no arguments from the formal yet at this point? Not at this point. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna I'm going to flip back just a little bit, Mike. So page 66 is the 8190 from the formal A meeting. But I just, and that, so this appeal has, a, a, you know, different issue statements and uh, union facts and contentions. But this wasn't sent to you before the meeting, correct? This, eight, this 8190 on page 66 with the... 
issue statements from the formal aid. You only got the in, informal aid. Okay. And what day did they file the grievance? Do you remember the day it was filed at informal? Uh, it was October 26th. Okay. And how many days did they have to file within something happening to make it a timely grievance? 14 days. And so when you got this, you had that 879. That's the only advance notice of the issues or facts that were going to be argued that you would prepare for? That's uh, That was the only thing that I had to prepare for this formal A meeting, yes. And uh, also the request for information, uh, what, the, what the union was looking for. Okay. So you you knew, based on 880 as being part of the appeal to you, you knew that they requested a lot of information? Quite a bit, yes. Okay. Did you have any issue with, or, or uh, any involvement with pulling all that information? I did. Um, once I got this and I was notified that Mr. Ashley was the counterpart of the uh, formal aid, the union formal aid, um, somewhere along the point he had emailed me and said he did not have his information yet that he requested. So, yes, I got on the phone and I emailed the postmaster and um, the MCSO to make sure we got this information as quickly as good. And if, I remember seeing in the file that the request was approximately 6,000 pages of documents. Was that? It was quite quite hefty, yes. Okay. And so when you came to the formal meeting, did you have all those documents with you? I, uh, we had it, um, yes, and I remember a pile of paperwork that was on the table. That okay. was the information that was requested. So this typed response to the formal lay how did you, what did you use to prepare this how did you go by trying to know what am I going to argue or prepare to anticipate to argue I tried to piece together what they were trying what they were going after I uh, looked at the request for information a lot of it had to do with uh, Joe Joe okay um and, of course, the shooting was 14 days prior to the informal aid meeting. Um, the, other, the other thing I looked at was the 8190, and it was East Lamar, Mr. Hay, the shooting. So that's what I, tried, I pieced together. I did not have any indication of where they were going other than speculation prior to the meeting. I pulled out um, prior JSOV grievances. Uh, to see where the union would go okay. um, and try to model that. And all I could do was speculate and hit the highlights of what the JSOB grievance would, would encompass. Okay. Is this the only contentions that you have from your formal A meeting, the typed, prepared? The, my typed, prepared contentions are the ones I had prior to the formal A meeting. During the meeting, uh, we exchanged information or, or files, and then I had written once during okay. the meeting. Uh, page 1302 to 1308, 
can you look at those? Is, are those your handwritten notes from the meeting itself? Okay, um, so we got prepared typed contentions based on what you anticipated the meeting would discuss and then handwritten based on the actual discussion from the meeting itself. Correct. Prior to the meeting itself, did you have any indication whatsoever that Terry Bison, Braswell, or Jerb were going to be mentioned or involved in this grievance at all? No, no indication, okay. no speculation, nothing. It was, it was something. It was totally out of out of the left field. Okay. I think we, you were anticipating it was related to the shooting. Is what yes. I think what you just testified. Oh yes, that's what he testified to. <laughs> okay. On page 866, which is the second page, and we're not going to have you read this, but what was your argument with the way that the informal formal went down? Did you have an issue with the way that it was handled, that informal and formal? Um, yes. That the email showed that on October 25th, they requested information. Also on October 25th, uh, they certified Curtin as the informal A for East Lamar. And then on October 26th uh, was the supposed form informal A meeting where the supervisor just arbitrarily signed the 8190. There was no information exchanged. There was nothing to indicate that the union was going after three supervisors. Nothing. It was just here signed. There was no exchange at the lowest possible level. There was no um, relevant information in accordance with the Article 15. Okay. Now, you discuss ongoing violations in the lower portion of 866. If there's an ongoing violation... Does there or does there not still have to be an incident that occurred within 14 days of that filing? It's a reoccurring or it's ongoing. So an incident or an action that the union's grieving would happen the following week or two weeks. So it would be reoccurring or ongoing. But to make it a timely grievance, would some, would, would, if it's a recurring incident, would something have to reoccur within Every the 14, 14 days of the days, filing? Correct. Okay. Recurring every 14 days. It would have to occur within 14 days to file a grievance. Oh, okay. That's different than it would have to recur every 14 days. I'm sorry. I wanted to clear that up. Okay. So on the top of 867, 
And I think this supports your testimony you just went over. It says, without the union producing any requested information, it can only be concluded that the grievance is a result of October 12th. Is that your, that was your position that your belief this was resulting from the shooting? Yes, correct. Okay. The bottom of 867, let's just get it out of the way. Uh, it says, other factors to consider. It says, the union submitted a request for information on October 25th, 2021, and had informal A meeting the next day, a violation of 15-2A. Is that technically a violation of 15-2A, Mark? What I was, uh, what I was going with was during the meeting for this 15-2B, may consult with higher levels of management of the union in addition to dispute establishes the parties in the initial discussion of agreements retain independent authority I don't know if that's 15 well, well, where, where you, I, I'm so lost as to alright let's go back to look backtrack to the question about the bottom of page 867 because I'm still looking for when you're talking about yeah on 867 it says that the way it reads the union submitted an RFI on October 25th and then had the informal the next day, a violation of 15-2A. So if we go to, is 15-2A, uh, you should have, are the Article 15 exhibits over there for the witness? Uh, I've got You got that, the little, can you, can you get a copy from, from Mike? You should. You said Article 15, Mr. Arbitrator? I was just lost as where y'all were at. Okay. I, I, I got Article 15. Go ahead. Okay. Okay, so 15-2A, and what I was referring to is during the meeting, the parties are encouraged to jointly review all relevant documents to facilitate resolution of the dispute. There was no, there was no uh, exchange of, of relevant documents on October 26th when they requested a mountain of paperwork on October 25th. That's what I was going after. Okay. So essentially, they didn't provide anything at informal. They didn't even have anything at informal at that point because the RFA hadn't been filled yet. Um, it had not, no. And, and again, this was written prior to the formal aid. So. All right. Good, good point. Okay. In the middle of page 867, it says, Management requested information from the union to better prepare for this grievance. Management requested any supporting documentation the union may have, and the request was ignored. I'd like you to take you back to page 859, if you would. Eight fifty-nine. We've, we've already established this in prior testimony. This is the formal A meeting notes of, of Jason and you indicated in your position that you had requested documents in advance so you can prepare. What is the second little comment there? It begins with 17 and 31. How does that respond to that issue near the top of the page? 17 and 31 doesn't require me to provide management with any information. Okay. Is that how I explained it to you? Yes. It's his, no, it's his notes. I'll just leave it that. Okay.
Um, page 868, you talk about the burden of proof in the top paragraph or the second full paragraph that begins with NALC. So if I'm reading this, your position was they haven't met and established a prima facie case. Is that your argument in this in this grievance that they haven't established that um, burden of proof that fell that fell within the realm of behavior contemplated by the drafters of the JSOV? Exactly. There was nothing that was appealed to me in the formally appeal that there was a violation or uh, a violation within 14 days of the informal aid meeting. In the union file, was there any evidence whatsoever to suggest, hint, or even that, that management in any way contributed to the shooting on October 12th? Did we do anything that caused the shooter to act the way he did? Did they, did they prove anything like that? I did not see anything. Okay. So in the next paragraph underneath, which is the third paragraph on page 868, what was their response there? The union only alleges? An environment in the Memphis installation. Specifically names the district manager Chris Elder. Uh, the union casts a wide net without specifics. Okay. I'm gonna do a little more, another another pull out here. Uh, so the union, and it was clarified on day one that did you did you get some surveys that were completed by the employees at East Lamar as part of the formal A package submitted by the union? I did not. The, the formal. We had the formal A meeting. It's the first time that I saw them. Right, that's what I'm saying. But at the meeting, you did see these surveys. Correct. Okay. And these surveys is the evidence that the union argues to support this claim of a continued toxic environment. Have you had a chance to go through these surveys? I went through them for the first time when I saw them at the formal A meeting. Okay. Have you have you since had a chance to look at them? Uh, well, yes. I, okay. In these... And I believe what you just testified to was they cast a wide net, kind of just generalizing. Was there any specifics on this day this person did this, on this day this person treated me like that when they told me I'm an ass? Is there anything like that in, the, in these allegations? No specific, no. Okay. no. Let's look at page 305. I'm sorry? Three, uh, 305. I'm going to go through these surveys a little bit with you, Mike. I'll tell you what, no, I'll save it for the brief. Your testimony is there was you didn't find any specifics in here that can you point to a this is what happened on this day that outside the shooting to, to support some toxic environment. No, no. And, uh, okay. Um, back to where my contentions. Give me one second. I gotta get this back in order. Do you know the postmaster at the time? Did you know uh, Sunil? I knew him. Yes. Have you met him? Spoke with him? Uh, well, while he was OIC here, I did. Yes. Okay. Um, as the name might imply. Um, does he speak with a dialect? Middle Eastern dialect? Yes, yes, he does. Would you consider it a 
mild dialect or pretty strong dialect that he had? Um, if we go back to 2021, we were still wearing masks. And he would have his mask on when we were in conversation, and I could not understand anything he said with the mask on. I had to ask him to take the mask off to even begin to understand what he had to okay. say. Thank you. So yes, it was very, it was very, and it was even worse with the mask. There we go. Okay, I'm back to your contentions. Let me just see. Is Chris Sander still the district manager? Chris Sally's tired, I believe. It was December last year. Okay. On page 870, in that middle paragraph, you, you list a bunch of people and maybe some – can you just explain what that is there in that, in that upper portion of 870? Management contends there are numerous ways an employee can report harassment. Again, I, I got five pages and I was trying to come together with a contention. I modeled several JSO, uh, at least one JSOV grievance from another office at a different time and tried to hit the highlights of that. Um, am, am I missing something? What's your JSOV? Joint Statement of Violence. Okay. So, um, and some of those were reported instances related to JSOV and not, that were not produced. Um, okay. Let's look at that. Let's look at the first so, bullet there. What was that first bullet? What were you trying to establish with NALC Stewart? I wanted to find out if, if Stewart and I had conversations after the shooting had occurred, and she had mentioned in, in, in conversation that she did not ever have any issues or have reported he came and reported anything out of the ordinary to her. Um, I again emailed her uh, for confirmation, and she did respond to such. Um, and that was the last communication okay. with Stuart Dotson on that. So that was verification from the union that there had been no reports made to, to the union from Correct. from Carrier Head about his treatment? Correct. I reached out to HR for any IMIPs. Okay. I emailed Michelle Minson and Human Resources for that, um, and she had emailed me back. I reached out to um, Phyllis Moore, uh, 1767, to see if there's anything been filed. There, there was not. And what is a 1767? Um, a safety for, uh, a safety report, a safety violation okay. infraction. Okay. Hazardous condition. So all the all the functions that you sent out to it to see if there if, if management was aware of any. Negatives from anything was going on in Memphis, anything, any any avenues that employees may have pursued um, to see what what if anything was there, and everything came up negative. Uh, I included the Tennessee District Policy on Workplace Violence. Um, it was an eight hundred number they could call if something was going on. I emailed the um, OSC Rogers. During her time here, prior to Shannon, Shannon being coming, and I also emailed OIC Chen, and nothing. Okay. All right. Let's go to eight seventy two. I think the, you know, the I'm, your 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 decision kind of speaks for itself. I just want to see what we might need to talk about. So, one of the issues that. Yeah. Well, the third paragraph from the bottom, you address the hiring practices. What is it? You what was your position on the hiring practices? 
they're not a locally negotiated nor a local issue. The union questions the hiring practice or may question the hiring practice, but the guidelines and processes are set at the national level. Okay. I think the rest of that part speaks for itself. I would like to go to your handwritten notes just in case there's anything here that might not be legible that we might need to cover. And that, again, that was on 1302. In that top paragraph, you discuss, uh, Branson, what are you, what's your point there? decisions already decided that related to Bird, Benson, and uh, Braswell. Okay. And those cases are all resolved final, final cases, correct? Those are settled exactly. cases? Correct. Okay. Um, and that, that there was no ongoing violation with any manager in Memphis that is currently being uh, adjudicated. Nothing within those 14 days that related to any manager that they provided in the, in the file. Okay. Those climate surveys, and I don't need you to look at it, I'm just, they're all dated 11-2, looks like one, almost, oh, there's one 11-3, 11-3. When was the grievance filed again? Uh, informal aid meeting was in October 26. So these surveys weren't done until a week after the informal meeting? Yeah. So how could these have been used to support a continuing violation at informal when they didn't even have it? Hmm. Well, they can. Thank you. I, I left it slide. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. Uh, Mike, I don't want to take a lot of time here to go through this, but I just want to kind of flip through your what you put together here for your packet. Uh, again, we're not going to do a lot of uh, editorializing, but we'll flip through it and see if there's anything that we need to uh, talk about. So, again, your decision was 865 to 877. We already discussed 879 to 882, which was included with the appeal that you received. The emails, I'm just going to say the emails will all speak for themselves. Nine oh seven was that the email from the informal uh, the the Stuart Johnson confirming that there was no complaints to the union prior. That was my email to Chris and Correct um, about any complaints from Mr. Hill. Okay. And her response: Good morning. That's correct. 
Page 916 is an email from an email exchange with you and Sunil. Can you tell us what this might be about? Looks like maybe something about an LMOU provision. local here in Memphis has a provision, and it's paragraph 10 of the LMOU, having meetings or uh, unusual circumstances. And again, in formulating my contentions prior to the meeting, I was trying to cover all bases that I could come up with, and this was one of them. So I wanted to reach out to the postmaster and see if was there uh, the, the union or the union president, we need to meet on an issue, or we need to meet on this, or we need and then you see Mr. Sunil's response was no. Okay. Is the LMO LU in the file? The yes, uh, page 921 is that is that provision, that one page of the LMO you So 921, if it could take you there, Mike? Correct. Correct. So is that the paragraph 10 on the right hand side that you're referring to? That's your question. Correct. Paragraph 10, last sentence. Consideration will be given requests for special meetings to circumstances. Okay. And there were there were none that we know of. Okay. Page 929. This is, uh, you included Article 3 management rights, is that correct? Correct. What does item B tell us under management rights? To hire, promote, transfer, assign, and retain employees in positions within the Postal Service and to suspend, demote, discharge, or take other disciplinary action against okay. such so hiring, as long as you were doing it within the confines of the agreement and applicable laws, it's management discretion on how we, what our hiring practice is. Would you agree with that? I agree. It also says there that we're supposed to suspend, demote, discharge, or take other discipline. That's a management right also? Correct. Would you agree that it's a management responsibility to correct behavior if it's improper? In your in your typed narrative, you included you quoted a couple arbitration awards, correct? I did. From nine thirty one, and I'm not going to take you to from nine thirty one to ten thirty nine are arbitration awards. Are those the ones that you quoted from? Yes. Okay. So if the, if we find a quote in your argument and it's related to one of those, they should it should be within the confines of this. Yes, sir. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. Do you think they're applicable? Oh, yes. Still today, not just before you had the formal A, you think they're applicable to the case? I do. Page 1046 is the PS50, which is the Notice of Personnel Action for Mr. Hay. Can you tell on block 16, what was Mr. Hayes' hire date? Uh, what page is that? Page 1046. I go from 1045 to 1053. Pass it down. Uh, here it is. Sorry, say again, what question? What, what? Uh, block 16, enter on duty date. It's July 24, 2021. Okay, so that's that's when he was hired? That's when he was hired, correct. Block what? 16. 
Enter on duty date. 72421. And in block 33, what was the office he was assigned to? Block 33 is um, Memphis Mendenhall Station. Okay. Page 1051, 1052, can you tell us what these are? Uh, 1051 is, uh, both pages are uh, training from the, uh, Mr. Haley uh, that is in, out of the HERO program. So what? He would have, the HERO program is a computer program, training. Okay. Training. Keeps track of our records of our tra what training we've uh, attended in our in our career. Exactly. Uh, was there any argument that Mr. Haight did not receive adequate training? I, uh, no argument. Uh, okay. From ten fifty three to eleven eleven, our clock rings four ten twelve. Was that one of the items requested by the union? Yes. Page 1114 to 1138 are some DOAS reports, DOAS being the computer application that manages the city routes. Were those Correct. requested by the union? Correct. So, so you brought, you said you had a lot of documents. So some of this was just put in because it was, you had it because it was requested by the union. So you just wanted to make, you weren't. Yes, I want to make sure there was no 17, Article 17 or Article 31 violations. Okay. So, yes. Page 1139 is an email from Mr. Alexander. It looks like the discussion, the topic is something about COVID-19 updates with the unions. What, what was that in reference to? 1139. Well, again, during the COVID pandemic, Mr. Alexander would have uh, meetings with the union presidents across the district. And so I wanted to show that the union presidents had a direct line to the district manager, okay. not only for COVID, but uh, if anything else had come up, any other issues. Okay. Then the next, uh, from 1140 to 1164, those are the tax clock rings for Mr. Hayes' entire time that he was with us. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Requested by the union. Okay. I want to go to page ish, uh, page two, which is the cover page of the B decision. On keep 1165 open. I'm sorry, <laughs> you just you just covered it. What was issue four? Management 
violate Article 3 of the National Agreement by the manner in which they hire and train new employees and if so, what should the remedy be? Okay. And 1165, is this not a pre-arbitration settlement relative to the training of the CCAs in Memphis? It's a pre-arbitration settlement uh, dated October 29th concerning uh, letter carriers, correct? So this, this was right after the formal, uh, the informal meeting, a couple days after the informal? Three days later, yes. Okay. So while the issue about how we train... Does it appear that there's an agreement on how we're going to train our CCAs? There is. Okay. Signed by Jason Edgley. Okay. And you. And you. Thank you. Uh, page 1166. What's what? What is this? This is a requisitions to, uh, to hire uh, postings for CCA positions. Okay. One of the arguments is that we were not staffing properly, and I think you argued in your in your that this was to support that we were continuing had a continual hiring uh, process. Okay. I believe that 1168, although it can't be, uh, I believe that's a second page there. Okay. Wait, you're talking about the posting on 1136, right? 1166 and 1168, uh, it looked like there's two pages of postings for positions in the Postal Service. And then 1179 to 1301, can you tell us what these documents are? Hang on just one second. Uh, Uh, again, 1179 to 1301, what are these documents? This is the leave usage log report. Uh, it's generated out of ARMS program. And, uh, is ARMS the program that kind of manages our attendance? It is. Okay. It is. If there's call-ins, uh, it's logged in. And a report can be generated, such as this, of those that are not, not reported to work or request leave for that day. Or a block of time. And was this requested by the union? Uh, I, I'm not sure about this one. This one might have been on me. Okay, all right, that's fair enough. Just, just wasn't sure. Okay, so if we look at the, uh, where it says your selection criteria, so these was this for Memphis? Was this for the Memphis installation, the stations within Memphis? Would be the finance numbers within the Memphis installation, correct, and the pay locations. And the, the specific dates. So uh, this is from October 1st through November 8th? Correct. And so this is showing all the, uns and it says scheduled type, and then it says unscheduled. So will the, is every, all the uh, absences recorded on this, these are all unscheduled absences? Correct. Okay. And on the right-hand side of the form, there are three columns, hours, SCH question mark, documentation required. SCH question mark, is that the scheduled indicator? Was it scheduled, yes, or was it, or no? Scheduled, yes, or no? Okay, so the end means it wasn't scheduled. Yes, why okay. needed, yes, right. All right. Documentation required, yes or no. So what was your point of showing that we've got a lot of people calling out on a daily basis within Memphis? The point is there's a lot of people calling out, and COVID, COVID could be uh, in 
projected there, but the, a lot of people calling out, a lot of routes remained uncovered, which in turn, uh, in the effort to get the mail delivered, a lot of carriers working, a lot of hours in the course of the day. Okay. So, uh, if you the go sick leave record or the attendance record of the other employees are directly related to the number of hours that the carriers are working, that are that are working, okay. delivering. And then we had 02 to 08, where your handwritten contentions, 1302 to 1308, and then the last page was, okay. All right, one second, put this back in two, three, two. There's a, the union included an OIG report in part of their argument against the hiring practice, the fast-track hiring process. I'd like to just look at this OIG report, audit for a second. It's an audit, not a report. Uh, 361. The, on, on 361, what's the heading? Tell us what what is this? This is an officer inspector general uh, postal service audit report peak season hiring. And what's the date of this? September 23rd, 2021. Okay. I just want to cover on 363. There's a highlights page. What is the objective that's on 363 as far as these this uh, audit? Our, our objective was to assess whether the U.S. Postal Service effectively hired bargaining employees for the peak season periods of 2019 through 2021. And then skip down to the um, one after the, it says 2019-2021, and then it says in September 2019. Can you just read that little paragraph? In September 2019, the Postal Service adopted a fast-track hiring process. The goal of the fast-track hiring including shortening the time for extending job offers and getting applicants on the rolls, as well as eliminating interviews for 67 bargaining positions. Fast Track is now considered a normal hiring process for all applicants, not just peak season hires. Okay. So, to your knowledge, is there any national dispute pending on Fast Track filed by the uh, NELC headquarters? No, nothing that I know. Okay. But this verifies it's a national policy. Fast Track has been expanded to national policy. If NELC had an issue with the national policy of hiring, would they not file a national grievance? They would. Page 364 has the recommendations of this audit. Do any of these recommendations say get rid of fast track because it's a violation of Article 14? It does not say that. No. Yeah, I'm not going to go into the rest of the report. I just want to cover those highlights. Union argued that fast track violates Article 14. Do you agree with that? I do not agree. And 
I think that's all I have in the charger. I think that's all I have. I'm, I'm, no further questions. At this time. Any emphasize and to suspend, demote, discharge, or take other disciplinary action against such employees. You said that's right. Down at the bottom, below that that language, the indented language that starts with the Postal Service's exclusive rights. Do you see that? Uh, yes. Postal Service's exclusive rights under Article Three are basically the same as the statutory rights under the Postal Reorganization Act. 39 U.S.C. Section 1001E. While postal management has the right to manage the postal service, it must act in accordance with applicable laws, regulations, contract provisions, arbitration awards, letters of agreement, and memoranda. Consequently, many of the management rights enumerated in Article 3 are limited by negotiated contract provisions. For example, the Postal Service's Article 3 rights to suspend, demote, discharge, or take other disciplinary action against employees is subject to the provisions of Articles 15 and 16. Is the Joint Statement on Violence Behavior in the Workplace incorporated in Article 15? Um, say no. It's not, can I see your J. I'll stipulate it is. You'll stipulate that it is incorporated in an Article 15. Okay. It's one of the first bullet points on the first page of Article 15. I got it. When you came to the formal Step A meeting, this is kind of basic to do about it. When you came to the formal Step A meeting, what transpired at the formal Step A meeting? What transpired? Well, uh, we met and uh, we traded files. Mr. Mr. Uh, Jason explained what his contentions were and what they were asking for. And then we proceeded to dive into each other's home. How long would you say this meeting lasted? It lasted over six hours. Six hours. Were you given full opportunity to address everything in Mr. Ashley's contentions? Do y'all have the right to call people as to see me in, in uh, the formal meeting? Say yes. The front first page of your contentions is 865. Let's go to 865. 865 to 1309. Are those the contentions that you brought to the formal aid minus the, I think you got three pages of handwritten contentions? Uh, as, as I remember, yes. Okay, so you brought 444 pages to support your position to the formal aid meeting. Is that right? Let's go to page two. Page two of the case file is the first page of the B-Team decision. Do you see delivery unit? Oh, 
Okay, yes. At the top, I'm sorry. Top delivery unit? Citywide. Citywide. And do you see incident date? Uh, I'm going. I'm going. So the DRT determined that this was a citywide grievance and it was an ongoing grievance. Is that what you read there? Objection. If you read the award, that's misleading because when you go into the next page, management uh, makes an absolute contention about that. Well, that could be kind of redirected. Well, you're asking him to draw a conclusion about what the B team agreed to. No, no, I don't. Look, look. If it's on the document, okay, that it's citywide and ongoing, is that your testimony? On page two, look at it again. Page two says uh, ongoing as the incident date and citywide as the delivery unit. Okay. So, I don't see it's written in the... Fair enough. File. I agree you can come back and say we On page 865, did you write these contentions or did someone write these for you? I wrote them. You wrote them? Okay. Management contentions, the very first thing. You state the union is the moving party in their claim of a contract violation as well as their requested remedy. Yet in their haste to remain compliant with the time limits for this grievance, management contends that the issue is moved from the outset. What issue are you talking about? There was no event that happened within 14 days of October 24. 14 days prior to October 26th. Let's go to page 67. On page 67, is this your signature right here under my, over my vote? It is. And what does number two state? The grievance fleet is timely at all levels. At all levels. Okay. So you did sign off that the grievance was timely at all levels, right? I did at the formal A meeting, yes. Okay. Below that, you said the union did not have any discussion with the manager at informal aid. Let's go to page 66. On page 66 is the 8190. In 13A, do you see the supervisor's signature? His initials, I guess you could say, right? Or his printed name, I'm sorry. Yeah. Printed name, Joseph? I did. In 11. What did he sign off on in 11? What does that state? Objection. He didn't sign off on 11. He well, signed 10, off. 26. He signed off on 13A. It's, it's prior to 13. So 11 would be prior to 13. What is the date discussed with the supervisor? Uh, item 11 says October 26. Okay. Is that his signature on 13A? Or his printed name? Well, I have to assume so. Let's go to the next page, 866. Do I need to keep this open or separate? No, you can just keep On page 866, we're going to go, you got the 15-3 language at the bottom? 
I'm going to go two paragraphs above that where the supervisor confirms. State the supervisor confirms that at the very minimum, there was no discussion or exchange of documents or any remedy requested in violation of Article 15. To simply request a signature to get a grievance started is a grave attempt by the union to circumvent the grievance process. Whose fault is that if the supervisor signs his name on something saying he discussed something and there was no discussion? Whose fault is that? I don't know that's anybody's fault. Well, you made a big to-do about the supervisor basically was ambushed, that she helped, gave him an 8190. I mean, does the supervisor, does he have authority to settle that grievance? He has the authority to settle that grievance. Based okay, on so whose fault would it be to say that I came into a meeting and I just signed my name, not knowing what it was about, not knowing anything, just signed my name on it and said, okay, thank you. Whose fault is that? Is that the union's fault or is that the supervisor's fault? That's the supervisor's responsibility. Below that says the union claims that this is an ongoing violation. However, the union provides no supporting documentation prior to the formal aid of a contending violation. On page 892, and the formal aid meeting was November 8th, is that correct? Yeah. Huh? Does that sound right? Yeah. Yes. November 8th. So the, the formal meeting was November 8th. On page 892 is an email from you to Miss Lisa. That's the postmaster of Memphis at the time. Is that correct? Uh, not in November, but she was OIC up until up September, I believe. Okay. And do you remember how long she was the postmaster of Memphis? I think she said it. Yeah. Was five yeah. or six months. April. She got there in April. Yeah, something So that would have been several months as of this time, as of November first. She would have been out. She would have been out of Memphis several months in November. Yes. You ask her, has the union during your time in Memphis ever requested a meeting with you, acting postmaster, to discuss issues related to abuse, threats, treatment of employees related to JSOB violations at any of the installations in Memphis? That's your email, right? If your contention is that this only pertained to East Lamar and it only pertained to something that happened in 14 days, why would you ask about during her time in Memphis about stations and uh, installation in Memphis? Because I wanted it to be an open-ended question. And in addition to, remember, I only got five pages appealed to me. They were looking, they, the union was looking for information across the entire city. So... I'm only speculating on what the union was looking for or what the violation was or the grievance. And so my question remained open-ended. And I believe it was to the OIC Chenille as well. Okay. Let's go to page 908. This is also November 1. And this is from Sharon. Is that Was that the informal stuff we wrote for the union? Correct. And she sent this to you Monday, November 1st at 10.28 a.m. She says, good morning. Can you put this in the system and send me the GATS number for it, please? Thank you. 
And what did you say? This was that email was the formally appeal. Okay. That was the five pages sent to me. Um, I, I, she was the formal A rep that I've been uh, dealing with here in Memphis. So uh, I emailed her back. It was when is a good time to discuss. Okay. And gave her a GATS number? Correct. Okay. And what was the subject regarding? The subject regarding the, the, the subject line? Yeah. Joint statement, region, citywide grievance. So she sends you an, uh, an email on November 1st saying, here's a joint statement, region, citywide grievance. It was her subject line, okay. correct. And you sent back with the same subject line. Well, I, I replied. I hit reply. Was that the same subject line? And it would have, been, it would have remained the same. Okay. So you're aware at the time that citywide grievance, right? Uh well, I was aware of the email, and then when I got into it and looked at the 8190, it only said East Lamar. Okay. Is this the first you learned of the grievance when she emailed you this on November 1st? This was the appeal, yes. Let's go to page 879. I'm sorry, what page? 879. Page 879, is this what she sent with the appeal? So this is the issue statement? The informal step A issue statements. Okay. East Lamar. Station East Lamar. Okay. Class action. On page 66 again. Sorry. That's the same as 10 something. Right. On page 66, the 8190. When is the first time that an issue statement is to be incorporated on an 8190? Say that again. When is the first time that an issue statement is to be incorporated on an 8190? The first time would be a formal A. At the formal A? All right. That's number 15? Number 15 on okay. the formal A section of the 8190. It says there in the highlighted portion, formal step A. Formal step A parties complete this section in its 15 issue statement, correct? Right. So that's the first time that the union has to give an issue statement as 15, right? In my experience, I've always gotten issue statements when they're appealed to me. Well, according to that, the official grievance form. Form is line 15 for the issue statement. What about 19, the remedy? Is that the first time that the union has to incorporate a remedy on a grievance? Well, it's on the formal A appeal form. Yes. Okay. So really, she's doing you a favor by sending you the issue before the formal step A meeting. Is that correct? According to 8190, first time you should see that is at the formal A meeting. Is that right? Well, I should have some idea of what the grievance is about. Wouldn't that be your supervisor's responsibility? Well, the union appeals it to the formal A parties. Right. Okay, so it would be with relevant documentation. Yeah, but wouldn't your supervisor be the one to tell well, you? I would expect to get something from him in addition to. Yes. Let's go to page 867. 
And so what did you get on the appeal? You said you got five pieces of paper. What would that have been? Um, starting on page 878, uh, the 8190, the informal issue statements, request for information, an email from Jason Ashley, and um, certify, a letter certifying So you did get some. On page eight sixty seven, there is a it looks like a decision, arbitration decision, F zero six C or F. When you talk about Postmaster Sinai. Did he help you write your your case file? He gave me citation. He gave me arbitration decisions. For what purpose? For the untimeliness, grievance, and uh, to informally meeting. Yeah. Okay. So the postmaster, the acting postmaster of Memphis, was giving you things to help you beat the case. Is that right? He gave me some arbitration decisions. Go page 1045. Say 1045? Yeah. On 1045, this email is from Sunshine and the Postmaster, right, to you, Mike Rowe. Is that right? November 3rd. This is the exact language that you put in your contentions. Is that correct? I would say, yeah. So, so the post, your, your email to the Postmaster, and he's giving you things to beat this grievance, so you put that in your contentions on 867. Is that right? Back on page 867, when we get past that that insert you have there from the postmaster, you said management requested information from the union to better prepare for this grievance. Then you state this, management requested any supporting documentation the union may have. However, that request was ignored. Management contends that the union is contributing to bad faith bargaining. How is that so? There's no more information to, to uh, for me to see if there is a violation or what what the grievance was about. How long have you been a formal step A representative? Several years. Several years. Have you ever read the formal step A language in Article 15? I have. I'm going to read it. Page 15.5. 15.2, formal step 8D. This is what it states. At the meeting, the union representative shall make a full and detailed statement of facts relied upon, contractual provisions involved, and remedies sought. The union representative may also furnish written statements from witnesses or other individuals. These are things that happen at the meeting. It does not say before the meeting. So how is it that he's contributing to bad faith if he's going by the contract? There's nothing precluding me from asking for information. But you said that he was, was contributing to bad faith. How is that possible if he's doing what the contract well, told him to do? At the informal A, uh, it, the JKM states to exchange relevant documents. 
expect that. Not, I would expect that to come up with the informal appeal. It says the parties are encouraged. They didn't say that they're mandated to do that at the informal step they meeting. It says they're encouraged to do that. Well, I was looking for more information concerning this grievance because there was very little to none coming what up with the informal the one I read him is 15.2, formal step AD. So Mr. Ashley did exactly as Article 15 prescribed him to do, and you're saying that he bargained with you in bad faith by doing so. Is that your contention? I get, I requested more information concerning this grievance, and I've got, I got nothing from that's what. Did you get it at the formal step A meeting? I seen it for the first time at the formal step meeting. Formal <laughs> Is that what that language says? Is well, what happened? I'm telling you what happened. Okay. Let, let me ask something here. I, I want to clear something up in my mind. Uh, is it your understanding that the uh, Article 15 is not restricted to just the union filing the claim? It's not restricted to the union. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, do I need to rephrase that? Let me just rephrase it in this way. Based upon Article 15, is the only person that can file agreements is the union, or can management file agreements? I don't know how to answer that. The union can only follow yeah. agreements. Okay. All right. So, uh, how would you normally, if you thought there was bad faith or if there was some other contention uh, in the process, would you just leave that up? Leave that up to sort itself out in the grievance process? I mean, y'all y'all are saying a lot of bad stuff, right? And you may be right. I'm not. I'm not trying to well, say you are not. But how, how would you handle bad faith? They didn't give me all the stuff they're supposed to. I mean, would you just leave it up to procedurally, hoping that somewhere along the line somebody would say, "Okay, we're going to wipe out the grievance," or expect me to do that? Well, I can only say, just like you said, I've been doing formal A's for several years, and I get just enough information to see where the grievance is going or the violation is. In this particular one, and remember, this was on the heels of a shooting in in one of the installations, and so I was looking at what that what went on, what happened, what happened within the fourteen days. I was looking for more information than what I got, so I could properly. Um, and that's what I meant. There, there was very little to no information given to me at the formally appeal, unlike what I'm accustomed to getting from the union in Nashville and here in Memphis. So that's what I was directing that towards. Okay, so I, I don't know if you answered my question. Okay. Okay. So you think you're acting in bad faith. All these things that you say throughout mm -hmm. your stuff. Should have gave me more documents. Didn't have any more documents. Right. How do you how do you uh, seek redress on those complaints that you think that you have a right to? Well, if you can't file a grievance, how would you ordinarily 
what would you expect to happen in order for you, uh, and when I say you, I'm talking about the service management, uh, to be compensated, made the whole, you know, the situation corrected, what would you expect to happen? All I can say, I was looking for more information as to what they had. Listen, here's here's the thrust of it. Was, was all of this put in here for, and I'm just trying to cut to the chase, was all this put in here for uh, embellishment purposes? Was all this put in here to blacken the eye of the union and their complaints? Or was there some relief that you thought that you would get at some point? And what would that relief be if you can't file a grievance? I put it in there. Uh, I went through what I had, and I put in there what I thought were violations to be discussed here in arbitration. Okay. Um, was I looking? Uh, it's a procedural defect at the very, I guess, at the very minimal. To say that it was a procedural defect in this in this grievance. Procedural defect, thus bad bad faith far bad faith bargaining. Right, but procedural defect, thus some sort of motion for summary judgment at arbitration, or procedural defect when we get to step B, then we can talk about it. Maybe remedy come up with some agreement in the future about this. Um, to have this case dismissed. Okay, based upon the procedural problems. Okay, in your experience as an informal aid rep, how often does a step B team or at formal aid or at the arbitration, how often do you see grievances dismissed based upon the sort of procedural defects that you're talking about? I've seen it at least one time, and it was at arbitration. And you've done it how long? Two years. Three, going on three. So, so now I'm going to ask you, what is the, the specific procedural defect that would override, let's say, an otherwise valid claim, okay? And I, I know that goes against the grain of what you're doing. And I understand your position. I listen to everything that you said. What, what, uh, what is the procedural defect that you're asking me to take into consideration to wipe out what we're going to assume, just for argument's sake, is an otherwise valid agreement? bad faith bargaining that I requested documents from the union to which I did not get anything in return. Um, I believe can, can you see how such a position would open the doors to a floodgate of litigation over what's bad faith and wipe out all these legitimate grievances, you know, 
because somebody was able to convince an arbitrator of bad faith, whatever that means, at the time? Well, uh, these are arguments that I wanted to present and cover. Basically, uh, remember, uh, I didn't have any information prior to Formal A, so I was looking at every argument that I could come up with to make sure or cover my basis when I met at Formal A meeting, and that was one. I had no information. I had, I had no. I'll be honest with you. I had no idea going into the Formal A meeting that the union was looking to remove three managers at Memphis um, as a result of their remedy until I met at Formal A. So, you know, I, I, if I had any inclination, any idea that that was one of their arguments, or uh, I could have, I could have better prepared for that argument. No, no, I, I get I get everything that you said. I get your your contentions. I get how you prepared for it. Uh, I, I get what you were saying that is in yes. contravention of what their agreement is. I get all of that. I just want to make sure that I'm not missing something that. You can say, throw out words like bad faith, and it may be, right? I, and I may scold. I don't know. I may scold. I understand. But, but you can throw out words of bad faith if you convince me of bad faith, or if you say, oh, I didn't get all these documents. Well, I should have got them. Even though the the technical language of the JCAM says I, I'm not really entitled to them yet, but Arbitrator, you should throw out the case. I just want to know if that's what you're saying, or if you want me to scold. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, I, I understand your question. Um, but again, I like and I said, you may be right. Understand. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, sir. You yes, may sir. very well be correct. They may deserve more than scolding. I just want to know from you because we keep going over this and over this and over this. What is it that you expected when you made those notes and when you're testifying here today? What is it that you expect from me if I were to believe 100% of what you said, if I were to believe 100% that it was bad faith, that, that they negotiated bad faith, that they've done, done everything wrong? What is it that you expect me to do? To dis dismiss this case. Just because of that? It's an argument that I made in this for okay. that reason. Yes, is it a strong one? Uh, that's well, I'm not. Don't argue against yourself. I'm, <laughs> I'm not trying to get you to do that. I just, but that's what you're saying. That, yes, sir. And, and that we I, should establish some sort of precedent of dismissing cases based upon some sort of. I didn't get this. A, a procedural, a, a procedural defect, and <clears throat> to take it a step further, I. You know, I was successful in getting a removal in Nashville um, uh, based on a procedural defense. So I look for those. I, I'm looking for those to include in my arguments for discussion here. Please don't misunderstand my question. Don't read into what I'm understanding with my question. Don't misunderstand it. I understand what you did going in the informal aid. I do understand you had five pages. Uh, uh, I understand all of that. Yes, okay? sir. 
And I'm not trying to tell you to change the way you're doing things. I want to understand what you're trying to tell me. Okay? Understood. And I, and I hope that cuts down on some of the questions. May not. Go ahead. What was the removal? What was the procedural argument that you wanted to remove on? It was a removal for a CCA. What was the procedural argument that you wanted on? That the union president who had um, was not certified as union representative. Go to page 67. What does number one say on page 67? Local parties are properly served. So that doesn't pertain to this case, though. It has nothing to do with this. You asked the question what right. that would that answer another question. The answer is no, right? All right. Under what provision of any handbook or manual is the formal Step A representative obligated to give you anything before the formal Step A meeting? The union formal A obligated right. to give me? Mm-hmm. Go with what's in the JCAM, but there's nothing precluding me from right. asking. Them, right. right, but again, it says at the meeting. Do you agree with that? At the meeting, everything's going to be shared at the uh, meeting. I understand. Yes. Okay. So he was contractual by bringing everything he had at the meeting. Is that contractual? That's what the JCAM says. But just simple yes or no. That's what the JCAM says. Yes. So yes. So he was contractual to do that, and you said that he was about bargaining in bad faith by doing that. I do. I did. All right, back on page 867. You got a national decision in there. Do you see that? Down yeah. at the bottom. You highlighted, obviously, general citations of alleged relevant contractual provisions do not define with sufficient specificity the claims or contentions so the employer can be required to defend. And then you write, the union has failed to do this in the present grievance as it relates to the article cited. Let's go to page 68. I'll read that section again. Obviously, general citations of alleged relevant contractual provisions do not define with sufficient specificity the claims or contentions. On page 68 is the issue statement. Can you see that? I do. All right. Number one, is that specific? as to what the unions requested? Did management in the Memphis installation violate the joint statement? Also serve policy and workplace harassment, Tennessee District Workplace Zero uh, Tolerance Policy, 115.4, the M39, 66.524, the ELM. Are they specific? Yeah. Okay, yes. Of the NASA agreement by the environment that has been created and condoned in the Memphis installation. How can Mr. Ashley be more specific than that? That's not what I got appealed to me. I got these three informal issue statements. But this says, what your language says is the contractual provisions. We've already established on the 8190. The issue statement will be given to you at the formal step A meeting. Is that right? But it wasn't. It was the issue statements were given to me at the formal day appeal when it was appealed to me. Okay. And so, so I... And this, these are even expanded from what I got. At yeah. the and so, again, when are you supposed to be given the issue statement? When is it supposed to be written down? According to 8190. At the formal end. Okay. Back on page 867. The bottom of that. Other factors to consider this grievance moot. What are you talking about there? 
dismiss the file, dismiss the case. Okay, and so just to be clear, the union brings the case forward about a toxic working environment. We're wanting help with a toxic working environment, what we perceive to be. We're wanting help from anybody that will listen, and you're saying that the arbitrator shouldn't hear it. Asked an answer, objection. That's the first time I've asked that question. Don't move on. All right, 868. When did I ask that question? You didn't ask the question. Uh, the, the response you had elicited that response from the previous question, but go ahead. I got it. All right, on page 868, the second paragraph on 868, you state this, the NELC is the moving party both in the claim of contract violation as well as in their requested remedy. They hold the burden to establish first that a contractual violation existed and then that their requested remedy is appropriate. As to the merits, in light of the history of the joint statement, it is clear that the union must establish that management of the Memphis Post Office exhibited behavior that escalated or promoted the use of violence in the workplace, and that that behavior fell within the realm of behavior contemplated by the drafter of the statement and their own president, Sombrato. You state this, the union has fell far short of establishing such. But how would you know that if you didn't even know what the merits were? Didn't have anything to show that otherwise. I, I wrote this based on the five pages that I've got. So you wrote your And then I asked for information relevant to this, and I got nothing. So I went with what I had. This okay. is so based on what you had before the formal step they made. Correct. You said that, that, the, that they fell far short of the merits. The next sentence after that, the union only alleges an environment in the Memphis installation. And specifically names the district manager presented. So you do agree that the union is addressing the environment in the Memphis installation, is that correct? I, I want to clear that up. When you when you say the Denver installation, the Memphis installation, I mean I, I I've heard it I think referred to as postal, what do they call it? Anyway, I've heard another name for it I think. Metro. What? Metro? Maybe. Uh, and it might have been Philadelphia when I heard that. So the uh, Memphis installation is all of these uh, delivery units, right? Yes, sir. Combined. Uh, and it doesn't include anything outside. And this is in the postmaster. Do you have postmasters over each delivery unit? Station oh, managers. Station managers. Postmaster. postmaster above all. Okay. Thank you. The union only alleges an environment in the Memphis installation. So you acknowledge that the union is addressing the environment in the Memphis installation. Well, I reiterated what the item two of the issue statement was from the informal step A. Yes, and that was the Memphis installation as well as So you learned before the formal step A meeting that we were addressing the environment of the Memphis installation, correct? I 
go by the 8190. And the 8190 that was appealed to me said the East Lamar Station. Well, how did you get how did you get the environment to Memphis installation? Well, because I didn't, like I said, the informal issue statement. Okay. So that's, why I from, that's what I said the before the formal meeting, you're aware that we're addressing the environment of Memphis installation, right? Well, that's what's on the informal the issue statement. Yes. Okay. On page 869, the first paragraph there, the last sentence, you state this, a personality scope between two employees that does not involve direct threat is outside the scope of the JSOV as intended by the parties. What are you talking about there? Drawing a blank on that one. What page are you on? 869. Where was it? The top paragraph, not the indented portion, but no. the top paragraph, the last sentence. You don't know why you put that in there? I, I'm drawing a blank right now. Okay. Down at the bottom, you have a decision from arbitrator Levac. You got a number three. Bottom uh, the last sentence there, he says, the purpose of the joint statement was to eliminate direct threats and the kinds of harassing conduct and or environment that could lead to unacceptable levels of stress and thus indirectly violence or threats of violence. Why did you put that in there for? The decision? Yeah. Because <clears throat> it it, went, it goes on to say two things. It, uh, it cannot be viewed as a prophylactic against every insult, real or imagined, every harsh tone, real or imagined. It does not eliminate personality conflicts. The other, the other part was number four, where it is not intended to allow witch hunting complaints against supervisors. So that's why. Would you consider the union's incorporation of 30 beating decisions and almost every resolutions? about the behavior, the ongoing behavior in Memphis as a witch hunter? Well, um, two things. I did not see those DRT decisions until formally prior to me writing this. Okay. And the second thing is, from what I remember of those DRT decisions, not all of them were um, related to JSOB or anything like that. In fact, some of them did not rise to the level. I remember language to that effect. And I remember some was about leave and things without having to go through them. They were unrelated to JSOB. Is 115.4 of the M39 handbook of mutual respect, is that related to the joint statement? It's about mutual respect, yes. The joint statement says those who do not treat others with mutual respect. So would you say that 115.4 is directly related to the joint statement? Uh, I would say it's related. Okay. I, I don't know if I've ever seen this. Is it in the case file? Question. The JSOB? Yes, sir. I mean, the entire thing or just, or just the page? Huh? I thought I heard you say it's actually it's uh, on page uh, 270. 
an 870. Below that, this is what you state. Management contends that there are numerous ways an employee can report harassment, bullying, threats, etc. A search of any evidence or reported instances related to the JSOB have not been produced. The file includes email from. Secondly, you have email from Michelle Edmondson and Human Resources confirm no initial management inquiry process. IMIP was completed or requested. Is that right? Yes. And in the email, as you sent her, she said, there's nothing been done. You asked, is there any IMIP done within the last year? Is that right? I don't remember. Whatever the email says in there. Okay. In front of you is U1. So that's your right. U1. This is about the IMIP process. It's outlined in Publication 552. And it no, says, no, hang on. No, stop. Stop reading that. That was folded. Okay? Okay. Only consider the folded portion. The rest of it's not admitted. Unless you want to try to admit it. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So just read that. Just the, I should be highlighted with the yellow marker. This is what it states. Respond promptly to the complaint regardless of its form or content. Remember that you could receive a complaint with no prior warning. Any report of harassment is enough to start an inquiry. And so what you're stating is nothing's been done as far as management's concerned in the last year at the filing of this grievance to start or initiate an IMIP by management. Ask that question again. The emails you asked this lady, yeah. within the last year, has there been an IMIP? And she said no. 
with that knowledge right there, any report of harassment. So you're saying that with all these grievances from the last year, some that you signed off on, I'll get them to in a second, management has not initiated an IMIP. I, based on Ms. Evanson's email, nothing was filed or requested. So when it states that regardless of its form or content, would agreements be a form, in your opinion? Go below these bullet points, and below that, you say management contends that there is was no indication of JSOB issues reported through any of the outlets provided. With what I just showed you right there, let's go to page three fifty nine. On page three fifty nine, at the top, this is January fifth, so this was within a year of your email. Within a year, my business agent, Steve Lassen, reaches out to the head of HR, Barker, and to Chris Alex, the district manager. And he states this, I am writing to express my concern about the work environment at the Mendenhall Station in Memphis. I have received recent concerns and informal verbal grievances that manager supervisor Risha Well, among other things, regularly treats employees in a disrespectful and undignified manner. I'm requesting you as the district manager or your designee take steps to evaluate this situation and expeditiously remedy these concerns. If there is anything I can do to help, please let me know. And according to your file, an IMIP was not started based off of that letter. Uh, I've only reached that. IMIP, right? IMIP, yes, sir. Not to my knowledge, not at the time I wrote this, there was okay. nothing done. And I'm only relying on the emails that I received from Michelle gotcha. and the other ones. Page 206. Let's go to 207. 204, I'm sorry. Page 204 is uh, an 81 ICE agreements, and this was within a year. April 23rd, 21, that's within a year of that email where she said there's nothing done in a year. You're the formal step A representative for this case, right? On page 206. You signed off on an agreement, right? And on page 207 is a statement that goes along with this grievance. And, and excuse my language. But I'm going to read this statement. Then Mr. Burson started screaming at me, get the fuck out of my building. I don't want to hear another fucking word out of your mouth. You're a fucking pathetic human being. Get the fuck out of my building. Get the fuck out of my building. That's a direct fucking order. I didn't say anything. I walked to my case to put my last tray of flats in my tub so I could leave. Mr. Burke, why the fuck are you still in my building? I told him I was just putting my stuff in my truck. He was, that should have already been done. Get the fuck out of my building. Mr. Brown, did you start an IMIP process when you saw that? I did not. I did Let's go to page 142. 140, I'm sorry. 140. I apologize. 
on page 140, here is a letter from Miss Christens. And she says on page 140, I'm writing this formal complaint letter regarding a meeting I had with my station manager, Risha Bell. And she goes on to talk about the abuse that she succumbed to under that meeting on the last page of that on page 142. She says, after this bottom paragraph, after the meeting with Risha Bell, I felt threatened, discriminated against due to my injury, stressed out and uneasy working with her. She sends this to Mr. NALC President, Mr. Walker. And in turn, Mr. Walker sends it to the postmaster on page 143. And he states this on page 143, Mr. Capers, who was the postmaster at the time. I just received this complaint from an injured employee, CCA Kimmons, about manager Breswell threatening her for reporting a reoccurring injury. Ms. Kimmons was involved in a hit-and-run accident as an RCA and returned to full duty in December. However, after becoming a CCA and carrying a satchel, she began to have pain again and returned to the doctor. She called me after a meeting with Manager Breswell in tears, stating that she wanted to file this complaint. Also, can you please let me know what actions, if any, are you taking from your meeting with the employee last week? The NELC will be filing another formal complaint, grievance against Manager Breswell for harassment. Thanks for your support. And on page 144 is Mr. Kipper's response. And according to that email, Mr. Kipper did not initiate an IMIP. You asked me, did he? Yeah, according to your email. He did not initiate an IMIP, right? I don't see anything that says he did. What does it take for a letter carrier in Memphis to get an IMIP initiated? If it's not a business agent contacting the district manager, a grievance with your name on it, a formal complaint to the postmaster, what does it take for a letter carrier to get, a, to get an IMIP started in this installation? There's telephone numbers for the uh, inspection service, the District Zero uh, Tolerance has numbers that they can go. There's uh, 1760, Form 1767s that they can file. There's avenues that I tried to allude to in my contentions prior to the formal A meeting, right. prior to seeing anything that you're referring to. Yeah. And I attempted to cover all those areas where they might, uh, a carrier might pursue that avenue, and I came up with nothing. Go back to you, one. Does it say anything about a postal, a, a number to the postal inspectors on that? I don't say no. Does it say any PS form 17, anything on there that you got to do? No. It says to the complaint, regardless of its form, any report of harassment. Is that what it says? It does. Okay. Back on page 870. You got Article 14 of the National Agreement. And it states this in the very first sentence of Article 14 it is the responsibility of management to provide safe working conditions in all present and future installations and to develop a safe working force. Do you agree with that? Yes. It's the responsibility of management. Can you show the arbitrator anything in this case file that management has done independently? outside of the grievance procedure, outside of something they've been mandated to do through the grievance procedure, 
anything management has done independently against any manager to curb the, the toxic environment here in Memphis. Show that you've done something independently. Independently, on y'all's own. Anything outside the grievance, anything that outside the grievance procedure. Page 871. The paragraph is below the Memphis local, and then in part, paragraph after that, it says management contends that safety is of paramount concern for both parties. So much so was incorporated into the Memphis LMOU, to which the president or his designee would be a member. The Memphis LMOU contained the provisions for special circumstances. And considering the events of October 12, 2021, this provision remained overlooked, yet no steward reached out to schedule a meeting with the postmaster, OIC. See email dated November 4, 2021 from OIC Shannon. And I believe that's on uh, 1045, is that right? Is that another? Maybe in the language. Let's go to 61. Let's go to 61. I'm sorry. 63. We're going to work our way back to 61. This email goes bottom to the top. 63 to 61. 63 to 61. On page 63, this is November 9th. This is the day after the formal A meeting. I believe the union submitted a statement from Mr. Williams after the formal A meeting. Is that correct? And then you got a chance to address it. This is from Jason. This is from Jay. Mike, I received the attached statement today, and I'm including it in the file as additions and corrections in accordance with Article 15.2. So he sends you that statement the day after the formal step A meeting, right? The next day, you, this is on page 62, this is Mike Rowe to Shannon. You say, received this yesterday. Did you want to respond specifically to paragraph two? So you sent Mr. Williams' statement to Mr. Shannon at the time? Okay. Up at the top, this is him talking to you, Mike. Only thing I can say, this show how union and employee take advantage of the situation. I'm never going to say to someone who just witnessed a horrific tragedy to resign if they cannot come to work. It is just new law, and I just find out this employee is limited duty employee and never been back to work ever since. On the grievance part, this statement not to be included in the file because it is after the formal A meeting. What is he talking about right there? I can only conclude that Mr. Channon is of the impression that you can't add to the file once it's gone beyond formal aid. Okay. So going back to page 871, that last sentence that I read, it says, yet no steward reached out to schedule a meeting with the postmaster. See email dated November 4th. You testified earlier that Mr. Shannon had given you a an email, sent an email to you talking about timeliness and you put those in your contentions an arbitration site that he used right that's it 
Then you go back to him and you say, hey, what, what do you think about this? Do you want to address it? And he tells you, don't put this in the file. Is what that email says. So the postmaster of the city, who's actively trying to help you beat this grievance, is the one that we're supposed to go to for help. Showing a propensity to go to the district manager. So the that's not question, the question I asked you. you. The question is there, the answer is that you there's other avenues and other uh, other positions that you can go to. You said the postmaster. I was referring to the local memorandum about paragraph ten. And the postmaster. My question was so the postmaster, the one we're supposed to go to, according to your contention right here, postmaster, the one we're supposed to go to. Is actively helping you to defeat to defeat this case file. Is that right? Well, what you referred to was I wanted to get his response to that, and also in the email I re I asked him if anybody's reached out along the lines of paragraph ten for a, a meeting under because of their special circumstances. Okay. Bottom of eight seventy one. Above Article three, the paragraph above Article three. You say the union claims an environment created and condoned by management, yet there's no supporting documentation by the union prior to formal meeting. In addition, the union singles out the district manager, Chris Alexander, for the environment created in the Memphis installation without supporting documentation. The district manager does not directly supervise the employees of the Memphis post office. Who is the district manager over in this district? He's over all the employees in this district. Everybody? Well, uh, everybody, uh, there's some that work for area, there's some that work for headquarters in the Tennessee district. So those that are district employees, I would say yes. Would letter carriers or, or, Well, I mean, take that back because after the reorg, that was limit. that was even further reduced in the number of employees here. You speak a lot for Mr. Alexander. At any time during the formal aid meeting, did you reach out to Mr. Alexander? During the formal aid meeting? Right. Not during the formal aid meeting. Can you show the arbitrator where he reached out before the formal aid meeting and asked uh, for him to defend himself against these charges we brought against him? Uh, I don't know that there's anything in the file where he defended himself against your charges. Let me, let me stop you there. We're real close to 2 o'clock. And it's way more than an hour for the recording that's going on. Uh, of the Obviously, you're getting tired and you need some sugar. You're not okay. Okay. So, uh, so, what have we been going on? About two hours so far? Two and a half hours? So, let me ask you this. How much longer do you have? Are you going to... I can I'm, sum it up pretty quickly. Well, objection, non-responsive. How much longer do you think? <laughs> I mean, uh, 22 minutes uh, of everything for you, okay? Yes, sir. And then I don't, I'm not going to restrict you to your on however many minutes. How long do you think that your closing is going to take? I don't care if it's an hour and a half. Right? An hour and a half. <laughs> do you think it's going to take that long? An hour. Okay. So, uh, well, then we're going to take 
20 minutes. I want you to do your kind of conference with your TA now. Uh, if y'all need a little, if you need a little bit more time, it's fine. It is now two o'clock exactly, uh, and hopefully by say 2:45 we can be done uh, with your case. So let's just say by three o'clock, maybe we can be done with the case and be ready to go. Okay. Is there anything else? Okay. I'm going to remind you that you can go. Not that you need a reminding, but it's part of the form that you're playing. On page 876, we've got 22 more minutes for you. The second paragraph, he said, the actions by management as reported in the postal inspection report did not fall within the parameters of the above decisions. Certainly the event on October 12th did not have to happen at all. And you stated that in the, the formal A meeting, you had an opportunity to look at every page that that Mr. Ashley brought. Let's go to page 216. On page 216 is a statement from Brenda Walker. And this is dated 7-14-21. This is three months before the shooting that occurred on October 12th. She says, I regularly carry Brenda Walker heard Joe Heard Miss Brown confrontation. During this confrontation, Joe called Miss Brown ignorant and idiot, and that she was a horrible carrier. He also stated that he was the the boss, and everyone is supposed to listen to him. If something is not changed, I believe something bad will happen. Did that concern you when you when you read that? that just three months prior to the shooting, somebody saying if something's not done here, something bad's going to happen. Well, I would say that it's formally reason I assume that's what you're talking about. Uh, I was more focused on how this related to the grievance itself. This was dated July. The grievance, the, the grievance was filed in mid on informal A in October 26th. So I was more focused on what happened on the 14 days prior, what you were grieving then, than I was outside at those dates prior to that. So the union saying at the following meeting, we're making this ongoing, we're incorporating all these people, and your testimony just now was, I wasn't concerned about that, I just focused on the last four, on the prior 14 days. I was focused on what you were grieving on the 14 days. Yes, so any of this here, you, you didn't consider? I didn't consider this in, in resolving this, the, that there was a violation to resolve. Let's go to page 1301. 1302. 1302. 1302. I'm sorry. On 1302, these are your handwritten notes from the formal step A meeting. Is that correct? That's correct. 
So after the formal step A meeting, after y'all look at everything, these are your notes. I guess you're rebutting or refuting something that Mr. Ashley said. Is that correct? Correct. Let's start on page 1302, the second little thing you talk about 1517. The 8190 has meeting date 102621. Union does not show any evidence and file that relates to Risha Blue, Joe Bird, or Terry. The union only shows history of resolutions dating back to 2015. What are those history of resolutions dealing with? Let's go to page 72. Again, on page 1302, you state that the 8190 has a meeting day. Union does not show any evidence in file that relates to Risha Briswell. On page 72, what's the name at the bottom of that? Risha Briswell. Okay. And you say, uh, or Joe Bird. Let's go to page 76. What's the name on page 76 of the employee there? Page 74, you say, uh, or Terry. Terry. So what are you talking about when you say that the, there's does not show any evidence in file that relates to Risha Roswell, Joe, or Terry? There's no ongoing violation with any manager in Memphis that is currently being adjudicated. And you stated earlier in your testimony, and I'm going to quote you, this is verbatim what you stated. Nothing that is currently being adjudicated on these managers. You're talking about as of today. That's what you stated. Nothing that is currently being adjudicated on these managers. Is that right? These three managers. There was nothing in file. No, I said as of today there was nothing being adjudicated. As of today, I've got two B team decisions that address two of these managers that, since this grievance, are still behaving as we have stated they're behaving in this grievance. Have you seen him? No. Show me. Well, his name is on so I hope we didn't say <clears throat> Those are two managers that are listed in this file since this has been sent forward, have been found in violation of Section 115. His testimony was that nothing is currently. Mississippi. Okay. The one in Mississippi? This has an incident date. Tell them which one's Union 1 and Union 2 will be the one dated 429. 
missed a bird. And U3 would be the one dated 131 or 214 from Ms. Risha's will. Okay, so let's take them one at a time. But I got an objection. Okay. I, I got you. Are you offering you do too? Yes, sir. You have any objections to you do uh, let me see. Yes, I have an issue with Union 2. Okay, what's your objection? What's the purpose of this being introduced? To challenge the credibility of my witness? Why are you bringing this in? Well, yeah, what he said was untrue. That would be okay. an attempt to impeach that part of his testimony. What he testified to was at the time he wrote the decision, there was nothing ongoing. That's not at all what he testified to. That is not at all what he testified to. He said, currently, you asked him, currently, he said, currently, there is nothing being adjudicated on these matters. He did not talk about the formal step they needed. He said, currently. I wrote it down verbatim when he said it. So, in order to impeach that, I'm going to add these two to show that two of the managers that are in here are still doing what we're saying they've been doing. Well, currently means today. So, if he testified as of today, this is resolved and not it's adjudicated. It's not unadjudicated, which was your... This doesn't even mention the JSOV, it just talks about mutuals. 115.4. That's not JSOV. But he already testified that he could incorporate those. It could be part of the JSOV, but 115 itself does not just does not mean JSOV. Okay. So uh, are you offering union three? Yes, sir. Do you have any objections to union three? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, first and foremost, this is from another district. So he would have no knowledge of any other claim from another district, not to mention the incident date again was 12-15 after his, his written testimony was there's no ongoing violation currently. He says currently because that's what his test, that's what he, he, if he testified and said currently, he wrote this back in November. This was, the incident date was in December in another district. He would not have any knowledge of that case. So he... If he was testifying to currently being adjudicated to support his statement, that's what he's saying. He didn't say currently as of today. Okay. The issue, as I'm to understand it, involves the Memphis installation, correct? Right. Matter of fact, I was really clear a while ago about outside, nothing outside of that was involved. Uh, Although I'm inclined to admit uh, Union 2 because the ongoing nature of the issue, right? Uh, I think that the prejudicial value uh, uh, I mean the probative value is outweighed by the prejudicial effect so, uh, and it doesn't directly go to the issue, so I'm, I'm not going to allow Union 2. Union 3, uh, I would have the same position on Union 3 because it's outside of the Memphis installation. And I would be concerned about the relevance of that. I, the probative value and the prejudicial effect of it. So, 
I think there's sufficient there were sufficient questions asked of this witness regarding uh, uh, the ongoing nature of the grievance at the time of the formal A meeting and before. Okay. I think there's sufficient and, and and certainly you can ask him uh, if he's aware if his if his uh, response to that question and I'm not sure that that's exactly what he was testifying to am I going to go to giving up the my opinion yet, but uh, you can ask him if he's only aware of that within this installation or if he's aware of any others. Obviously, he hears it now, so he knows there's others. So, you can ask him if you want. Uh, and I don't think that, that uh, considering uh, the testimony in, in the nature of the questioning, that that would be sufficient, or that would be uh, something that should be allowed to impeach the witness. Uh, because I don't think any question is specific enough to include outside of the Memphis installation. Okay? So, now the next thing is, do you want me to include, uh, and I will do this one if you like, you want me to include those two that you offered in my ultimate award and that I did not admit. You want me to include those in the award that they were denied? Is that Absolutely. Okay. So somebody's got to give them to me and I'll certainly do that. So why don't you, that's your copy. You have one for me. In there, Mark? Okay. Okay, thank you very much. Page 1305, it's the, the second paragraph, you write this, the union in their remedy, you see that? You state the union in their remedy appear to request Risha Brickwell, Benson, and Brick to be removed from their positions. Let's go to page 82. Page 82 is the remedy. On number two, it says that Risha Brickwell be immediately removed from her managerial position and not be allowed to supervise managed city letter cares directly or indirectly. So does that appear to request it, or did we actually request it? <laughs> That's what it appears. You actually request it. Okay. Did you reach out to Ms. Risha Brickwell? No. You did not? Number three, Terry Benson be immediately removed from her managerial position and not be allowed to supervise managed city letter care, directly or indirectly. Did you ever reach out to Terry? Joseph, same thing, be immediately removed from his managerial position. Did you reach out to Joseph? Back on page 1305. You, you talked a little bit about the Postal Inspector's report down at the bottom says that uh, tried to harm himself and was diagnosed as schizophrenic. Did you base that solely off of the Postal Inspector's report? I believe I did, yeah. yeah. 
Did you see anything, anything from a medical doctor to say that he was diagnosed with paralysis? Page 1306. The bottom paragraph, not the, not the three sentences, not the three lines, but before that, you said, Union claims of supervisors to DM have fostered an environment of disrespect for years, which is disputed. Then you state this, training has been given and or required other resolutions required apologies. The most recent issue was January, February 2021 where PM Capers did wait, make supervisor change and the district manager followed up with branch president. So it's not disputed. You stayed up here in the environment of disrespect for years, which is disputed, and then you go on to undisputed. Isn't that correct? Well, certainly the paragraph runs together. I can't claim that one had to do with the other. I know that there was discussion in his about the district manager, and I believe that's what I was trying to address. Okay. You also talked a little bit about that these resolutions have already been adjudicated. They're in the file. How would the union go about showing a history on a manager of say, unacceptable behavior if it wasn't for past decisions. That's up to the union. Okay. That's all I have to say. I, I, I'm still trying to process what your answer was to that last question. So, repeat your question the best that you can without explaining the report about it. Testified earlier that the B team decisions in here were already adjudicated. How else would the union show a history of unacceptable behavior if it was not for those past decisions? And, and your answer was it's up to the union. The union okay. right. Well, just a few. Mike, you were asked about uh, one of the questions was about the argument about the witch hunt. If we had a series of settled cases fully resolved and the resolutions complied with, and those managers did their whatever they had to do to comply with that settlement, which is not in dispute, there's no dispute that the settlements were not fully complied with. Would you consider a witch hunt to remove those managers from their positions without any evidence contained in the current uh, ish, uh, grievance of any violations related to those managers? Would you consider that a witch hunt? And there's no violations, then yes, I would consider that a witch hunt. Okay. You were asked if there was anything in the file to show that management took steps. Hang on. So you're saying, you're saying, in your opinion, there's if there are no current violations where management has not complied with the arbitration award or some sort of, or let's just say some sort of Article 15 resolution, 
if there's nothing in there and they and, and you can raise an issue regarding those managers, then that itself would be a Mr. Can I clarify? Absolutely. My, my question was about if there was no, they've had adjudicated grievance that, that had been complied with. If there's no evidence in the current file about misconduct by those three, would that be a witch hunt now that you're going after the three, even though there's nothing in the current file that released the three? Okay. And if you answered it in affirmative, that he, he believed that would be a witch hunt. The union took you to several pages of allegations by specific carriers, some handwritten statements. Were those not all part of settled grievances prior? Uh, they were. In fact, after we discussed specifically that July 24th was part of a specific yeah. grievance prior. Were any of those allegations that the union brought you to current from October 12th through October 26th? So nothing. You were asked whose fault was it to sign an 8190 if there was no discussion. Let me ask you another question. Is that the way that a union is supposed to present the grievance? Here, I got something to sign, sign it, and don't even include the issue statements? Not at all. So whose fault would that be? That would be the union. That's it. Nothing. Going back to the contract language, 15.2, informal step 8B. Me that it was a supervisor's fault. In the 8190, when you signed it, saying there was a discussion date, that he didn't do anything. He just redirected you on uh, the supervisor handing him Arbitrator said he just answered his own question. The supervisor and the student. I want his answer. The employee and the union representative must discuss the grievance with the employee's immediate supervisor. Okay. So, if that doesn't happen, whose response? Whose responsibility is that from y'all side? With the supervisor. Who? All right. Also, we talked about the past decisions. Mr. Conklin went to the past decisions and said that these have been adjudicated. What does cease and desist mean? Cease and desist. Stop. And what? Don't do it. Any further? Right. Mr. Arbitrator, again, I'm going to ask to put in you two and you three based off of the question that he asked him that these have been adjudicated. These have been adjudicated with a cease and desist orders against the very behavior that those two uh, exhibits have portrayed. If he's going to keep opening the door for that, I'm going to keep trying to put those. Well, on. I, I agree with. Oh, 
I, I agree with opening the door. I'm not sure that he asked him specifically anything about those two cases. Now, he might have said, now, tell me if I'm wrong. He's talking about the cases that were in here. Yeah. The cases that were in here gave cease and desist orders to both of those about violation 115.4, mutual respect atmosphere. He said that they were complied with, they're already adjudicated. If they're not complied with, if it's a cease and desist, that means stop now and don't do it in the future. He said they were. Those two exhibits are showing that they have not been complied with because they're still exhibiting the same behavior that they were in this here. He opened the door for me. Continues to do that. I'm gonna continue to try to walk through it. In unions two or three, do they cite the cease and desist orders that are contained within this? I'd have to read them again, but they're giving cease and desist in here. I, I understand. But there's been no final determination in Union 2 or 3, correct? Yes, another cease and desist. That was a resolution? Yes, sir. There's no cease and desist in this resolution in U2. But it will ensure he maintains mutual respect. There's no cease and desist. Yeah. U2 says, Dear Trigger Management is required to comply with Section 1.115.4 of M39 Handbook, and manager will ensure he maintains a mutual respectful atmosphere when communicating with employees and performance of their duties. That's not a cease and desist. Be careful. I, I, just, I, I just don't know if I can walk out that far on the ledge of what you're saying. Okay? I, I get what you're saying, but I, I think it's a stretch from an evidentiary standpoint. And, and let me tell you something. I'm, I'm not a Professor Swallow teaching evidence at Harvard and Penn State and you know, pepper diet. But uh, I, I just think that it's, it's it, if we walk out on that ledge, I would rather not walk in on that ledge. That's right. And uh, and get that wrong, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna err on the side of caution. I don't think that you kick the door open. I will caution you though uh, that to be to be mindful, right? Yes, sir. Of the uh, of the number two traps as you walk down the trail for swimming three. That's all I have. All right, you got five exactly five minutes. <laughs> no, I'm just taking the next. Yeah, three oh three. We're pretty close to that three o'clock goal. All right, so there you have it. <laughs> Management's formal step A. And uh, his shit was ruined on the first question, wasn't he, under Cross, about Article 15, the JSOV, and also just all kind of stuff through there where he was fucking up. And uh, you could tell that dude didn't know the difference from an acorn to an apple. He was a damn idiot. And uh, But that's the best they have to give. That's the one that's going to be right in discipline. He didn't even know that, that management couldn't file a grievance. And uh, so we got what we wanted out of him. 
Uh, we broke down Article 15 to him, and that's why I say advocates, when you go into arbitration, memorize these things, Article 16, Article 15, so you can jump right back on it, man. you got to be quick. you got to be quick. And so you kind of see what I'm talking about there. So, uh, yeah, we got what we wanted, and then next week we'll do my closing, and you're going to see how I wrap it all up in a nice little bow, okay, on top of this present. But there you had it. Very long episode, almost three hours. Mercy. But uh, the formal step A from management. Hope you all enjoyed that. Let me know. And I will talk to you all next Sunday. All right. I love each and every one of you. I appreciate you. Bye.